Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I think we all felt we were going to win. You know, one of the sentiments was the only people that could hold us back was ourselves. Let's go out and win this thing. 510,000 fans, 99 goals, 26 games, 15 days, 12 teams, all leading to one decisive final, USA versus Norway for the first Women's World Cup title. The U.S. had absolutely dominated the tournament, scoring 23 goals while conceding only four. Their high-energy pressing had throttled their opponents, but it also left them tired, and FIFA's compressed schedule didn't help. The final would be the U.S.'s sixth game in just 14 days. Here's April Heinrichs. You're getting to the finals, and you're spent because of the road to get there, and you're exhausted. And you've got very little left because, you know, you've got, you've got physical fatigue but emotional fatigue. What's more, the U.S.'s arch rivals, the Norwegians, were relentless. The only team to this point that had given the U.S. trouble was Sweden. And Norway destroyed Sweden 4-1 to one in the semifinals. Their star, Linda Medellin, describes her team this way. We never gave up, so it was like a Tigers coming one after one after one all the time. That's what the U.S. was up against, a Norwegian team that was mentally tough, that wasn't afraid of the Americans or anyone else. It would be easy for the U.S. to go into this final focused on their exhaustion or feeling intimidated, but they had an iron will from all the grueling preparation. Anson Dorrance made sure to remind his players what they had been through to get here. I always make it a point to share with the teams I coach how extraordinary they are in in these different areas, letting them know they're the fittest team, they're the most mentally strongest, blah, 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 blah. So I know that that's a part of my uh, pregame ritual. Blah, blah, blah might be understating his speech that day. Because nearly 30 years later, players like Mia Hamm remember the details clearly. And I just remember him just really talking about how there was no one else in the world that he would want to be coaching than, than this group of players. He really empowered us to go out there and own the moment. Dorrance didn't shy away from making the final about much more than a soccer game. In fact, he embraced it. This was a cultural watershed. The planet's most popular sport finally had a FIFA World Championship for women. It had come decades too late, but the opportunity was here at last. The players couldn't help but think of their own stories in soccer and all the women before them who wanted to compete like this but never had the chance. It wasn't just about let's go win this thing, but let's celebrate the opportunity that we have here to make a lasting impression. From Sports Illustrated, this is Throwback. A couple hours before the whistle kicking off the World Cup final, Dorrance wanted the team to think about what exactly this moment represented. The room was quiet. The coach pulled out a piece of paper and addressed his team. I read Shannon Higgins's mom's poem, 
and I didn't tell anyone who wrote it. I basically said, one of your mothers wrote this poem. I wanted everyone in that room to think their mother had written this extraordinary poem to inspire them to victory. Years ago when you were born, women's team sports were an oxymoron. No one foresaw the athlete, oh no. Our vision was limited, very much so. I thought you'd be a teacher, nurse, or esthetician. Didn't think of president, lawyer, or obstetrician. It wasn't that I doubted you, it's just the way it was. But then I didn't know you'd grow up with such a cause. But as you grew, you strained our senses. Girl soccer? Sure, fine, it's okay to play, but isn't two hours enough to practice each day? You had to be the best, play with boys, play up for a test. Vision was broadening, though ever so slow. Wouldn't it be great if the world could see this show? But we didn't dare dream it, so I'm glad that you made your way by sheer grit, sweat, and sacrifice too. So as I strain to sing our anthem and wave the flag and roar the chant, then know that U.S. chests are swelling and tears in eyes on cheeks are telling. No matter what happens, I know what you are. I didn't really have to come this far. To see it inside you, to see it so clear. You're a woman, of course, and a champion, my dear. All of us being like, yeah, this is, this is our time. There's something magical about walking out through the tunnel into a giant stadium filled to capacity for a World Cup final. More than 60,000 people made Guangzhou's Tianhe Stadium a cauldron of noise, unlike anything the U.S. players had experienced before. Here's Julie Foudy. Every corner of Guangzhou, there was a huge floral statue of like a woman kicking a soccer ball. Big stadiums, big loud crowds. You'd look up in a stadium with the lights on, and it would be, because everyone smoked back then, it would be just a layer of smoke above you. The flash ball flash here in Guangzhou, China, and a round of applause for the sellout crowd of 60,000. And we are underway. As the whistle sounded and the final got underway, nerves crept in. Nobody ever challenged Michelle Akers more than she did in her own inner voice. And now she asked herself some tough questions. How was I going to rise to the challenge and what would I learn about myself? And would I be proud of myself afterwards or would I be like, you chicken shall... Boy Beatbelt working it up for Akerstall who has been rather silent so far. Chicken being, did I do my job out there like I should have? Did I try to take on players because that was against my nature to do 1v1s and take people on, but did I do that anyway? And did I take the chances I should have? Or did I pass it because I was afraid to miss? This was the first Women's World Cup. No one knew if there would be a second. There was no guarantee any of them would play such a meaningful game again. And the decisions they made that night, they'd live with for the rest of their lives. 
when you're a player that good, in a moment that big, what does rising to the occasion look like? And now a foul. And the United States will get another free kick as Mia Hamm is brought down. We got a free kick about 35, 40 yards out. Now from 34 yards, the United States on a free kick. Higgins is taking it. And what you see is Higgins bends in this perfect ball for Akers. Shannon Higgins. And Akers just leaps up and lashes at it. He gets up and scores! And just drills it. Back where it came from, side panel. Just unstoppable finish. Michelle finds himself with a little bit of space to run into and heads the ball into a path to help the The U.S. had a 1-0 lead in the 20th minute of the World Cup Final. The whole vibe of the team changed, and nobody felt better than Akers. That goal for me was like, yes, like, it was a relief. It's like, oh my God, what a relief, thank God. Okay, now, hold on, you guys, we have to hold on. (laughs) Then you're hanging on for dear life. But holding the lead wasn't easy. As Ham had said before the game, the only team that could beat the Americans was themselves. There's this collision in the box between Overbeck and Mary Harvey. Long free kick and into the area and a goal! It's off the post and in and we are tied. That allowed the uh, Norwegians to get back in the game. A costly mistake by the American goalkeeper, number 22, Mary Harvey. Here we get to see the free kick simply launched high in the air. Playing Norway, it's always their long ball. They try to skip the midfield and hit the inline and and serve it in the box. If they don't win it outright, then they're waiting for a rebound to smack it into the goal. Just as the U.S. goal had taken the pressure off, Norway's equalizer in the 29th minute put it right back on. Oh my God, it's 1-1. Now we're tied. So every second, every ball, every stride is like such intense panic, but... You're being collected at the same time. They headed into the tunnel at the end of the half, but the tension on the field followed them into the locker room. Dorrance wasn't happy. The halftime talk, right, was Anson yelling at us. My team knows, and I'm usually just, I'm sitting there, but I'm zoned out and I don't even hear one word of what he's saying. And then afterwards I go, huh? What did he say, you guys? What What are we supposed to do? Dorrance had two lieutenants, assistant Lauren Gregg and goalkeeper's coach Tony DeChico. And while Akers may not have heard what her head coach said at halftime, she heard DeChico loud and clear a few minutes later. And then we're walking back out, and Tony came up beside me and put his arm around me and said, Mish, you have to win this game for us. And I was like, I do. (laughs) And then I was like, I do. I walked into the second half it's thinking, this, this is mine to win. I, I've got to do this. Going into the second half, the pressure was mounting. To make matters worse, exhaustion was setting in. The U.S. was breaking down physically. Anaerobically, our legs are shot, so we are absolutely dead in the water against Norway. Our kids can hardly move, their legs are locking up, and it's just very, very hard for us. The Norwegian and American players were moving more slowly, losing the ball more easily. As the minutes ticked by, both teams became increasingly desperate for chances. And in a final, every chance can mean victory or defeat. Akers stall, and that deflects off an American wide and hit Lily. If she gets out of the way, it had a chance. Zaborowski over here to take the corner kick. 
Hastings to the box, and they score! Or do they? No, it's the outside of the net. Oh, my. Deceptive from here. Yeah, both teams here clearly saying that as this game wears on, we're going to make sure we don't give up a goal, and then hoping that something might happen, be it a bad bounce or whatever, that would result in that opportunity for your team to score. They had to fight through their legs locking up. They had to overcome the pressure that one mistake could cost them everything. They had to push through and play with tenacity. And for Akers, the best player in the biggest moment, with DeChico's words ringing in her ears, she couldn't let herself or her team down. She had to seize the moment. Every ball I'm going to chase down, every header I'm, you know, scrapping and I'm defending with everything I, I can, whatever it takes. And I, I was just chasing down every little scrap of anything. 78 minutes into the game, and it was still a 1-1 stalemate. Extra time seemed likely. And then, two minutes before the final whistle, Shannon Higgins in center midfield hit a long kind of floaty ball into their sweeper who was playing super deep. There was no way I could get it, but I just chased it down. Norwegian defender Tina Svensson ran onto the ball, yet Akers refused to give up on it. With a brave run upfield. It was a ball she had no business getting. Svensson dribbled once toward her own goal and passed back toward her own keeper, but she didn't put nearly enough on it. Akers sprang into action and pounced. She was slow coming towards it, so I rammed into her a little bit. <laughs> and then she kind of fell down, and I went to the left of the goal. And I touched it past the keeper. I was way left of the goal, and so I stopped it with my left foot. And she takes forever to shoot it. And I'm like, just kick it in with your left foot. She took her sweet little time. I was like, kick the damn ball in the net. What are you doing? And then I... She scores! Michelle Akerstall may have just won a world championship for the United States. And look at that bench. The players on the U.S. sideline erupted into cheers, hugs, and fist pumps. With her 10th goal of the tournament, Akers had put the Americans ahead 2-1 to one in the 78th minute. The U.S. had to hang on for just a couple minutes more, and they slowly ticked away. We wait simply for the whistle, and that is it! And the United States has finally won a world championship in soccer! And look at the whistle blew, and it was by our goal. And I immediately remember we were so close to the bench that we all just, the bench came at us, we went at the bench, and we all just were a dog pile on top of each other. I am so exhausted, I just sit down and just enjoy watching uh, my team in a dog pile as the FIFA protocol officer is probably as upset as he or she could be at the ridiculous behavior of the United States. Players on the field were told to, you know, gather at the midpoint and shake hands. We were all over the place. We were, it was no part of any protocol that you could put in place at that very moment for any athlete. Even trying to put a protocol in place at that moment tells you you've never played sport in your life. It was the first time the United States had ever won a world championship in the world's game. The triumphant U.S. players gathered in the center of the field and received their medals. FIFA president Joao Haviland presented Captain April Heinrichs with the M&M's World Championship trophy. The team swarmed around her as together they hoisted it high in the air. Alan Rothenberg, then U.S. Soccer's president, 
remembers the scene in the locker room afterward. And then went into the locker room where I had the most exhilarating sports experience because here were these women who had labored without any support. There were no agents, there were no sponsors, there was very little media, and they, they were just in a locker room, the happiest young women that I think you could ever see. If you want to talk about pure sports, that was it. The victory party spilled out of the stadium and followed the Americans to their hotel. The Swedish team, having won the third-place game the day before, was there celebrating, too. Earlier in the tournament, the U.S. had let the Swedes partake from their stash of Western-style food. And now the Swedes decided to show the U.S. some love. Sweden was on the same hotel floor, but on the other side, on the opposite of the elevators that were in the middle. And uh, they had taken their third-place medals and put them in the shape of USA. Let's pause for a moment and consider this celebration, which in some ways was like a preview of the next 20 years of U.S. women's national team history. In addition to the 91 U.S. team's future superstar players, there was Sweden's guitar-strumming star Pia Sundhaga, who years later would coach the U.S. to two Olympic gold medals. Also, there were Lauren Gregg and Tony DiCicco. DiCicco would go on to coach the 99 U.S. World Cup champions with Gregg as his assistant. And, of course, April Heinrichs was there. She'd go on to lead the U.S. to the 2004 Olympic gold medal. Three future U.S. head coaches, dancing and drinking champagne. Except one coach was missing, Anson. I'm a Mormon, I don't drink, and so I basically went up to my room, locked the door, and just, you know, wanted to go to sleep. And so they sent up uh, Joy Fawcett. So she comes up and she basically uh, says, you know, Anson, you know, we want you to celebrate with us. And, you know, we want, I want you to come down and please uh, be with your team uh, on this wonderful evening. And so, of course, I went down on the elevator with her. And it was one of the greatest evenings of my life. By the way, that World Cup trophy was super heavy. I carried it home to my hotel room that night. We were dancing with it in my room and dropped it, and it took a huge chunk of wood off the cabinetry. We didn't care if it said FIFA or M&Ms or Mars or Snickers or whatever you want to call it, you know. We had it. And then it was over. The Americans and other teams piled on a plane and started the trip back west, the long way through Europe dropping off teams Greyhound-style, the same way they had come. But the flight didn't seem quite so arduous this time. Christine Lilly. I do remember it was a long flight back, but like I said, we won, so we were like, woohoo! And when they stepped off the plane in New York... We were so excited just to get back on American soil. And then when we got off the plane and there was like... Bora was there, and I think that was maybe three people or two people there were like, oh, maybe maybe they didn't hear her. We won. <laughs> That's right. The U.S. had just won the first Women's World Cup and had landed in New York, the media capital of the world. And basically nobody noticed, other than U.S. men's coach Bora Militinovich. There was no ticker tape parade, no TV spots on morning news shows, no crowds lined up to welcome them home at the airport. The players just walked to their various connecting flights home and casually slipped back into their everyday lives. Here's Julie Foudy. And we've just been through this super visceral experience as I was talking about in China for the last three weeks. I'm 20 years old thinking this is the moment that's going to change soccer in the United States and everyone's going to follow it. And this is going to be the tipping point we've been waiting for. And then we get home and, and then we quickly discovered it was not a game changer. The U.S. had won the World Cup. 
but nothing had really changed back home. Imagine how surreal that must have been. You keep thinking, well, someone's got to see it. You know what just happened. I've just lived through this experience. And, and then again, like you come back to Stanford and the professor's like, that's great. You have two hours. Here's your final. And <laughs> literally no one knew. I, I just remember thinking it would transform the sport. In the years ahead, transforming the sport would take the same sort of cutthroat mentality off the field that they had become known for on the field. The battle to gain fairer treatment from U.S. soccer would be as impactful on the game as their play. Throughout this series, I've been asking, how do you get thousands to show up for your team? How do you grow soccer in America? How do you change the way people think about women's sports? Winning was a start, but that was just half the battle. Now came the rest. He said, well, we'll take a different team to the Olympics. And Mia turns to me and says, well, I'm fine with that, Julie. And I said, yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm pretty good with that, too. I'd be happy to walk away from my career right now. That's next time on the season finale of Throwback. Throwback is written and hosted by me, Grant Wall, produced by Grant Irving. Associate producers are Kara Kornhaber and Harry Swartout. Executive producers are Scott Brody and Ben Eagle. Editing by Emma Morgenstern and Adam Durerson. Original music by Nolan Schneider. Mixed by Sam Baer. Thanks to U.S. Soccer, Cadence 13, and everyone who took time to speak with us for this episode. Throwback is a production of Sports Illustrated. For more of the best sports storytelling, visit SI.com. SI.